Hey everybody, you hear that? Sounds like tea time. Island talk, island talk. Right here on the kitchen island. Island talk, island talk. Right here on the kitchen island talk. Tea time talk. Right here on the kitchen island talk. Yeah, island talk. Keeping it real and never fake. Right here on the kitchen island talk. Dishing the tea with Lady V, B, J, Show T. We forever styling. Real talk about real issues. If you don't like it, then go get a tissue. Walking, talking like a diva should. Wouldn't choose another sisterhood to Island talk, island talk. Right here on the kitchen island talk, island talk. Right here on the kitchen island talk, island talk. Right here on the kitchen island talk. We are back at the island. This is Cheryl T, along with uh, Lady V and BJ. Today we have a special guest. You all have heard his skills. And he is none other than my nephew, the one and only Jonathan Martin. So Jonathan is my weekend son. I call him my weekend son because when he was younger, he would come over my house every weekend. Okay. The weekend with us. Okay. So one thing that our listeners need to know about Jonathan Martin is that he did our theme song. So when you hear our theme song at the beginning of Kitchen Island Tea, Island Talk. Island Talk. Right here on the kitchen. Island, Island Talk. Okay. Island. All right, we're killing it, Jonathan. So we'll Sorry, Jonathan, we're killing it. So Jonathan, thank you for doing the theme song. We get so many compliments from all around the country letting us know that you did a fabulous job of recording it. Can you tell us how you actually recorded it? How long did it take you? How do you go through those motions to do that? So it really just started with, with you sending me the text. Just, hey, I want I want a, a song for a podcast. So I was like, okay. The hardest part was really looking for a beat. Okay. That's, okay. That was the hardest part. It probably took me maybe a day just to find the right beat to kind of go with the theme that y'all were you know, the island, island talk, it sounded kind of Caribbean in a way. Okay, okay. Kind of flute in there, so I was like, okay. And then uh, you sent me some topics that you wanted me to touch on, so I did that, added it in there, and it maybe took 10, 20 minutes. To you do. took 10 to 20 minutes to do that theme song, and I'm telling yeah. you, it is fantastic. <laughs> we love it. <laughs> thank you. Thank yes, you. you need to be doing this on the regular. Mm-hmm. On the real and getting cash money mm-hmm. for it. <laughs> Now, do you yeah. have other songs that you actually produce or have I do. Have I, have a, I have a lot of music out. Um, well, I, I wouldn't say out. I have a lot of music that's unreleased. I have like a SoundCloud. I have some music on Apple and Spotify. But those are like my very first songs. So so and, if our listeners want to hear some of your, your music, how would they go about doing that? Um, you can either message me on Instagram. Uh, it's... I-T-S-J-O-N-D-O-2-2. Say it one more time. I-T-S-J-O-N-D-O-2-2. It's John Doe 22. Okay. Um, And then there, there's a link that'll take you to my SoundCloud where I have like uh, EP and some mixtapes on there. So John Doe, where did you come up with that name? So it was was a long (laughs) time ago. Um, It was like when I was in high school. um, I was just doing, I don't know, I, I like doing stuff very well so like I kill it I like to kill stuff so and, uh, and just with John Doe and uh, 
has to do slime stuff. You know where I thought the name yeah. came from? Because everybody used to say you used to look like Rondo. Oh, oh, I have heard that a lot. Yes. The basketball yes. player. Yeah. Okay, yes. I love yeah. me some Rondo. Yeah. And so yeah. I thought that's where you got the name John Doe from. It's like you know, uh, in like crime investigations, a John Doe is right, oh, yes. unidentified yes. body. Okay. Okay. But okay. with me, I try to kill the beat, and they're like, "Oh, who did that?" Like. So oh, you killed him. a bee. Yeah. And so he's John Doe. Yeah. John Doe. We're yeah. old. It took us a little time. Yeah. But we're yeah. Thank you for explaining it to the old divas. <laughs> yes. Yes. I yeah. love that he kills the bee. John yes. Doe. So what stimulates your creativity? I mean, the we sound. ask you for a song, but... It's, it's really the sound of the beat um, that kind of gets me going. So if it's, you know, that, that was kind of a... a an uptight beat, so I was kind of, you know, joyous, kind of mm -hmm. happy making mm -hmm. it. So it was, was kind of cool. And then you give me a topic to go with it, and it's it's easier, a whole lot easier. Everything flows. Yeah. Huh. Well, another thing that our listeners don't know about my wonderful nephew, my weekend son, uh -huh. Jonathan Martin, is he is a new father. Yes. All right. Congratulations. Yes. How old is your daughter? She's about to be three months tomorrow on the 18th. Okay. So. Listener, she's beautiful. She has a head full of hair. Yes. Oh, yes. And, and say her name. Catalea. So it's Catalea. Y'all, my middle name is Leah, so I've been trying to change it to Catalea, but they don't let me. <laughs> so it's Catalea. It's yes. Catalea. I love that name. She's beautiful. Catalea. She's Yvette beautiful, Martin. you all. Catalea, what's her middle name? Yvette Martin. Okay. Yvette Martin. Is that Yvette after someone in your family? Yeah, my mom. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> she's smiling then. Yeah. yeah. She was yeah, she was tearing up when I told her. So mm -hmm. she's happy. Uh, I'm glad. Awesome. So uh <laughs> tell us a little bit about fatherhood. I know that's it's different once yeah. you get into it. Give our listeners it's a, a little a little taste of so, what fatherhood is like. It's very emotional, to say the least. Right. Um, it's filled with a bunch of different experiences every single day. So when I first I wasn't always, you know, trying to, I'm very selfish, if that makes sense. So I was very selfish and I'm not used to helping out someone else. So having to take care of another person is very tough, but now I'm starting to understand that it's, you know, it's what we have to do in order to make sure that she's raised right or she's, you know, able to grow up and have a good life. So when you said that, does that mean you feel a new purpose? Yeah, I feel, yeah. I'd say that because now I feel like I actually have to because I'm very I'm very nonchalant I just go with the flow but now I feel like I have to be better for my daughter so awesome. I have, I have that's to, awesome yeah. awesome wow and it's so refreshing that you just told the truth I'm, I'm yeah. selfish and now yeah. you know I gotta take care of another person so now I gotta not yeah. just think about myself. I have a yeah. whole nother being that I have to. That's depending focus. on yes. him. Yeah. Yes. She's going to depend on him. want to make sure she can see the right man. Right. So, yes. so what advice would you give to new fathers that are maybe having a tough time? Take it slow. Don't, don't let uh, your emotions get the best of you. Of course, they're going to be flowing in. You may get angry, you may get frustrated, but don't let it take, you know, don't let it take away from you being there for for your child because so, if you get upset you may want to go away but you can't do that no you can't <laughs> yeah, you, you gotta can't. stay <laughs> you're a girl dad now that's awesome you know you can't always walk out you know it's not not always right for the man to leave you gotta stay and 
talk things out and you know work things over. That's right. I love it. So well, we have something for you, Mr. Jonathan Martin. We oh, want to no. say thank you for doing the theme song for us, and we also want to say. Happy, Happy Father's Day for a new dad. You are a very new dad. Thank you. You know you're a part of the family, right? Oh, yeah. So yeah. in a few <laughs> years, we're going to need a new theme. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We're going to hold on to this one for now. Yeah. To our listeners, yes. he's opening up a card and he's okay. reading it now. Okay. So the front, front side, you can't go wrong in life when you start with a good dad or start out with a good dad. Okay. <laughs> Hold on, I'll get to that later. Says <laughs> Happy Father's Day to a truly great dad, and then there's notes from. Well, you can read those to yourself yeah. personally. Yeah. Yeah. And then you know some cash inside. Yeah, <laughs> I that. a little jingle for you. A little jingle jangle. Thanks. Since you gave us a jingle, we gave you some jingle back. Yeah, <laughs> this is how we roll. Yeah, and the jingle is how you roll. Yeah. yeah. So, Jonathan, thank you for taking this time with us, and I'm so very no proud of all that you have accomplished, thank my you. weekend son. We love you so much. <laughs> we and really thank do. Thank you for being on the island. Thank you for having me. It's it nice, nice experience. <laughs> you have two new aunts, so okay. instead of just your weekend aunt, mm -hmm. know that you have us too. Okay. All right. That's true. Yes. So you are welcome at the island anytime because you are actually a part of it with that theme. Um, I'm I'm going to tell you the theme is awesome. When she first played it for me, Cheryl, we probably played it what ten times in a row yes. out in the dancing. front yard in the cul-de-sac, <laughs> and we were dancing. And by the tenth time, we knew all the words. Yes. And it was awesome. So we get you get a lot of compliments on that, and so mm -hmm. we want you to just stay motivated, stay inspired, look into your daughter's face, and know that. You're going to be the best dad that you can be thank you. for her. All right. So thank you. And we will see you soon, Jonathan. Right. See you <laughs> He'll guys. be back. Yes, he will. Bye. Bye-bye. kitchen island tea that's right we have told the ladies disappear get out <laughs> we're taking over that's get right out. <laughs> and so the men are in the house and we're going to introduce ourselves uh speaking to you is otis mitchell i'm bill watson and i'm james thompson and we are the men of the ladies of the kitchen island tea <laughs> we are their husbands and uh, we just thought on this eve of uh, Father's Day, uh, we might come and share some of our insights as we look at uh, what's happening in our world, what's happening uh, for this holiday coming up. And uh, so that's what we're going to do. We're going to cover three areas, and we're going to begin with current events. How about that, guys? Let's get started. All right. So what are we going to talk about? We're going to talk about, first of all, Let's discuss gun violence in the school system. Oh, boy. Yes, gun sir. violence in the world itself. Okay, I have a question. 
Why does anyone need an AK-47? Why does anyone need an AR-15? Why? What are you going to do with it? Those guns were made to kill people. That's all they're made for. They're not made to hunt. They're not made to do anything else but kill another human being. And multiple human beings. They were made uh, as wartime weapons and to be able to fire multiple rounds within a short blast of period, anywhere from pulling the uh, trigger and just 30 to 50 rounds are expended immediately, or semi-automatic weapons where you, as long each time you pull the trigger, then another round is released so that you could release 15, 20, 30 rounds a minute. Why does anyone need that? That's what I'd like to know. That's a very good question. There are a lot of people who claim they use it for sport shooting, for target practice, for protection in their homes, for things like that. But it's, it's I don't understand it. That, that, I've shot that weapon before. I shot the M16 when I was in the Air Force. And it's a powerful weapon. It does a lot of damage. But the intention was to kill somebody. When I used it in the Air Force, they told me, your target is center mass. You hit the person in the middle of their chest, your goal is to take them out so that they don't come after you again. And to see that civilians are using this gun and thinking that that is what they need for protection of their home, for all these other uses, all I see is people who are bent on killing lots of folks, pulling the gun out and shooting everybody. And I just don't understand why so many people think that they need it. And so many people glorify this weapon. And, and, and here's the thing, what the people who are pro-guns, pro-weapons are saying is my second amendment right to bear weapons and to defend myself. And uh, it is your second amendment right. Now, I'm former military as well, uh, even though I was a chaplain, so uh, <laughs> I really wasn't going to shoot anybody. But uh, the, the key is you do have a right to defend yourself. I don't, I, speaking for myself, I don't think anybody thinks it's wrong for someone to defend themselves. Mm -hmm. A handgun can do that. Uh, a shotgun can do that. But do you need a semi-automatic or automatic weapon to defend yourself against someone breaking in your home, against someone maybe saying something cross against uh, your lady friend uh, at an alley? No. You need those semi-automatic weapons so that you can take out multiple targets in a short period of time. And that's what they're using in Uvalde and other schools and Buffalo. up in Buffalo. Yes, so. Um, and, and don't forget the churches. Oh, yes, yes, yes. There was just fact, another shooting today. Or, or it yesterday. was yesterday. Mm -hmm. yeah, there was Al a shooting in Alabama. Alabama. Yes. Uh, uh, seven years ago, we had a shooting uh, after a prayer meeting at a church. Sutherland Springs, there was a Shooting a shot in the middle of a service there. Was a shooting. What do you need an AR-15 for? If you're a hunter, you normally use a single-shot rifle. Mm -hmm. You'll use a shotgun. With slugs. With slugs <laughs> or with buckshot. And but let's face it, Bambi ain't going to shoot that. Uh, <laughs> so you don't need all of that. Amen. Uh, I, I want to say this um, about the uh, Second Amendment rights, because I don't 
at least for me, I don't want people to feel like that I'm, I'm against people having the right to bear arms. People should be able to do that. But the Second Amendment does not give you the right to shoot my child in school. It does not give you the right to take people out uh, because for whatever reason you feel like you, you hate a group of people or you hate kids or, or, or you hate whatever, and as a consequence, you're going to go take somebody out. So the Second Amendment, you, you can have that right, but that does not give you the right to shoot my babies. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Yeah. Now, legislatures, legislators are talking about passing a bill where there are armed guards in your school arming the teachers with guns and how can you learn if your teacher has a gun if you have armed guards in your school with guns that becomes more of a prison than a school think about all the things that a teacher is responsible for doing today teachers are responsible for administering the medication to your children teachers are responsible for educating your children they're responsible for getting them fed they're responsible for making sure that they turn into people who are respectable in society they have a lot of responsibilities and you want to add to that responsibility the protection of the class with a gun the safekeeping of that gun what happens if a teacher doesn't know how to safely utilize or safely store a weapon what happens when a child finds that gun and uses it incorrectly they you know kids are curious they're going to see a gun sitting around they're going to see yes. the teacher carrying it around. They're going to be more apt to want to see things about this gun. And I can just see a teacher sitting on a desk. They put it down for a moment. They take it off their belt or whatever they have it on. And they sit it down. And some child coming along and picking it up. Or some other person within the school that has ill intent coming and picking it up. That's just mm-hmm. another danger waiting to happen. And most teachers that I have talked to, and I have talked to quite a few here since Uvalde happened, have said they have enough to worry about already and that it's hard enough for them to uh, get keys to do things. So you know you're going to have to have the gun under lock and key, which brings me to an interesting point about Uvalde. Uh, One of the reasons why that door was propped open was because the teacher probably did not have a key to open and close the door. And that highlights another aspect of what's happening and that is there needs to be uniformity among the schools that allows every school system, be it in Uvalde, in the state of Texas, Alabama, California, Utah, wherever, there ought to be a universal law that says every school will be protected to a certain level so that parents can and grandparents can feel comfortable sending their kids off to school. Uh, it was mentioned that uh, in the city of San Antonio, uh, all of the schools in San Antonio, you have to be buzzed in automatically. The doors are controlled electronically, mm-hmm. the school systems in San Antonio. In Uvalde, it's not like that. So that's one of the reasons why uh, it was so easy for some something like that to happen. So I think the bottom line is, you know, it used to be education is the number one priority. <laughs> Of schools, but safety right now right. has to be the number one priority, because what good is it going to be to have an educated child that never gets to grow up? So safety has to become everyone's number one priority. Oh, and by the way, what about our legislators? What responsibility do we have 
you know, you, you go back to the shootings of five years ago, 10 years ago. What has changed, uh, guys? What has changed in terms of legislation? Nothing. Nothing has changed. There's always a committee put together to discuss legislation <laughs> about changing the gun laws. But the gun laws are never changed. But we, as voting citizens, can change the gun laws by changing our legislators. If they refuse to come up with a bill that's adequate, then we, as voting members of the society, need to vote those legislators out of office well and said. put someone in. That's right. I, absolutely. I, I saw an article that said that the Republican Party's suggestion to all its membership was talk about the issue, focus in on mental health, but just run the clock out. Basically, keep talking about it, keep offering thoughts and prayers until people start forgetting about it or the next tragedy happens or the next event happens and then the public will forget about it. And that's their attitude. Let's just wait them out until they forget about it. But as Bill said, we need to start holding our legislatures accountable. We need to tell them it's not acceptable for you to not do something about this tragedy with gun violence. There's nothing wrong with universal background checks. Many people in this country believe that we should have it. There's nothing wrong with red flag laws that say mm -hmm. if you are a person who has committed a crime, who has severe mental illness, who has severe emotional deficiencies or problems, you should not be able to have a gun and a judge can take them away after they find that they're not capable of handling them properly. Not everybody can handle the gun. There are people in this country who are quite capable owning a gun, being respectable with it, and not utilizing it for ill purposes. But there are too many other people who have evil intent in mind we need to do something about getting the guns away from those type of people. Well said, James. And, you know, people are talking about the mental capacity of some of these folks who may or may not have shown any inclination to do such horrible things. Uh, but after it has happened, they look back into the background of these people mm -hmm. and they found out they posted on uh, the social media uh, or uh, they somehow indicated in some kind of way that they were so inclined to do these horrible things. So it's not just at our schools, by the way. Uh, let's look. Let's talk about Buffalo, mm -hmm. where this this guy drove 200 miles to find, in his mind, a perfect target where there would be a concentration of African Americans, where he could get the most kills and, uh, and with the least amount of effort. So racism plays a role in that. Uh, that's why I. I, I just have a hard time looking at these gun issues and saying, let's not do something. Mm -hmm. We ought to get the guns out of the hands of these people, uh, particularly as you have talked, Gil and James, about these automatic weapons, mm -hmm. so that if they do get in the vicinity, that they don't have the kind of weapon that can do that kind of damage in such a short period of time. That young man in Buffalo was 18 years old. And I think back to when I was 18 and the, the way I made decisions at that time, I didn't have any business owning anything that powerful. <laughs> I was barely smart enough to drive a car, let alone have a gun that could shoot multiple rounds at one time. And this young man had two of them. Yeah. His stated objective was to go and kill black people because he believed that they were replacing white people, that by killing them, it would inspire others to kill other black people. And that would keep them from replacing white people. What this young man also did that has not been talked about as much, that grocery store was in the middle of a predominantly black neighborhood. 
and they fought for years to get somebody to build a grocery store in that area so it wouldn't be a food desert. That's right. And exactly. now that grocery store that solved that problem has been destroyed, and those people in that community are back in that same predicament again with a food desert with not having that store there. And we don't know whether or not that grocery store chain is going to build another one there or somebody else is going to build there. They cannot use the same store because it's been closed. I mean, they, who wants to go to a grocery store where people have been murdered in? But this young man has created all this chaos for these communities and this family who were dependent upon that grocery store, who were yeah, dependent absolutely. upon that community. And it was a place where all the people felt safe going to, and now all that's been shattered. It, it, it is a shame. You know, you mentioned, uh, James, that he was 18 years old. Guess how old the Uvalde shooter was? 18 years old. Uh, which brings to the point, how should a person be before they can have access mm -hmm. to these kinds of weapons? Some of the suggestions have been at least 21. And, you know, that's the age of legal drinking. That's the age that you can uh, do a lot of different things at 21. So that would be a good starting point. I think there should be some type of background check that everybody should go through to determine your mental capacity, your criminal record, all these different things about your life before they give you access to something that can destroy someone else's life. Mm -hmm. Now, to throw another monkey wrench in, the, in the, the works here, what about when you're driving along the highway and someone cuts you mm -hmm. off and then the road rage kicks mm -hmm. in and then the next thing you know, your vehicle is shot mm -hmm. up because you cut someone off? Mm -hmm. Man, bless you. Well, you need Jesus. <laughs> no, but in all seriousness, again, that, that's why we need to just really put a handle on this gun usage. Uh, it, Bill, it brings the question, how come of all the industrialized cities in the world, countries, countries rather, thank you, uh, the United States is the only country that has this problem to this degree. Why is that? There must be something that we're doing that is different than everybody else that we uniquely have this problem. Three letters, N-R-A. They're, the, they're fear-mongering. We have more guns per capita than we have people. Think about that. We have more guns in the United States than we have people in the United States. And the NRA and other organizations spend their time drumming up fear. They make people believe that all these folks are after their stuff, that all these people want their homes, that their spouses, that they gotta be safe in their homes, and the only way is that they have a gun. You can't depend on the police because they're not gonna make it in time. You can't depend on anybody else. You have to take care of you and your family because all those folks out there are out to get your stuff. And mm. as a minority, I would like to say to the rest of the world, we don't want your stuff. <laughs> We don't want your house, we don't want your cars, we don't want your spouses, we don't want your money. We want to be able to acquire our own families, our own wealth, our own homes, our own cars by working just like everybody else. And we're not out looking for your stuff. And I think there's so many people who've been indoctrinated in this mindset that if you don't have a gun, somebody's going to come after you to get your stuff or somebody's going to kill you. And that fear-mongering, if you look at the gun magazines that are out there, I looked online at one of the gun magazines, and it shows all these different people in vulnerable situations saying, you can be protected if you get in this situation if you have this kind of gun. And that's where a lot of this comes from. But yeah. what happens if the person that 
perpetrating the crime takes the gun from you. Unfortunately, you end up getting shot and possibly killed. And you still lose your mm -hmm. stuff. Yeah. So the reason why we have this problem is not because of the video game. Because other countries have video games. Mm -hmm. It's not because of us being racially diverse because other countries are racially diverse. So it has to do with the mentality of the American people feeling a need and a right to uh, take a weapon and fire it at anybody, anytime, because they feel like it's their right to do so. I'm not saying we need to go the route of England and take away guns from everybody, <coughs> where the police uh, don't hardly even carry guns. They carry whistles. <laughs> and instead of stop or I'll shoot, stop or I'll toot. No, I'm not suggesting that. But I am suggesting we limit who gets their hands on those type of guns of mass destruction. You asked a question earlier, why is it here versus other countries? Another big reason for that is other countries pass laws making it illegal for people to own these type of weapons. After the uh, Christchurch shooting in New Zealand, the country of <laughs> New Zealand passed legislation immediately saying you cannot own these types of automatic or semi-automatic weapons. Canada is, is passing a law for that. There are other countries that did the same thing. They had one mass shooting. They passed laws to stop those people from getting those types of guns, outlawed automatic weapons, assault-type weapons. And once they outlawed them, they never had those issues again. They went down significantly over that. Now, of course, there's still violence in other countries, but they're not having these mass shootings like we are. We've had... I don't know how many mass shootings just in the last four weeks. Oh, yeah. Tons of it. Tons of it. And we're having them all year long. <laughs> and we've had some of our legislators that say that that's not true, that they never happened. Well, like uh, the, the school in Florida. Yeah. Oh, the, the Sandy Hook. That's where they... Like Sandy Hook. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like uh, the first one that happened in Colorado. Mm -hmm. Columbine. Columbine. Well, I think we can conclude this discussion uh, just because we, 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 we hit it by saying this, let's protect our children. We owe it to them. We owe it to our children. I think we owe it, owe it to our, our church attendees. We owe it to citizens who are going to the movies to see the latest Marvel or whatever is out to tell them that as Americans, we're going to protect ourselves, not by giving more guns, but restricting the use of guns. If your congressperson or senator failed to pass the bill, let's fail to elect them the next time around. Amen. Amen. Hi, it's Vanita. Listen. We would love to hear from you with feedback and suggestions. Let us know if we have been a help in some way. We are just trying to make a difference one listener at a time. So we can be reached at Kitchen Island Tea on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. In the meantime, take care of yourself. back that's that tea was great oh man yes it was yes it was we're back on the island <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> yes, and we're enjoying uh, talking and sharing. And James, what's our next subject? So next subject is sports. And, you know, everybody's been talking about the Warriors and the Celtics series and the NBA championship. So first problem is we're going to have withdrawals because there's no real sports <laughs> for us brothers anymore. Oh, with Lord. The, with the <laughs> basketball season, though. But that was a great, great series between the Warriors and the Celtics. It really was. It was excellent. And, and, and what was your best part? What did you like the most? You know, I, I was torn between the two teams because being a Spur fan, <laughs> our tentacles go all over the NBA. That's right. We have coaches, ex-players, players, players mm -hmm. and they're on all the teams. So the team, the, the game between the Boston Celtics and Golden State Warriors was really a tough one to watch. Yes, it was. Yes, it was. Uh, one minute you find yourself pulling for Stephen Curry, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green, Steve Kerr, and Mike Brown, but then you find yourself pulling for Ime Udoka. Yeah, Derek White. White. Derek White. Marcus Smart. Marcus Smart. So it was just a tough season, a tough game going back and forth, mm -hmm. but it was an excellent game, well played. And at the end of the, the game was sportsmanship. Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. So good to see. We're, you, you, you see the effects of Coach uh, Popovich uh, as both as, as, as one who has players who are still playing and, and those who have gone on and become coaches mm -hmm. and are doing a fantastic job, uh, particularly in Imei Yudoka, this being his first year as, as a head coach uh, how awesome is that, that he did so well uh, in this first year? They really turned that team around mm -hmm. uh, in January. A big thing that happened in January was a trade for Derek White and the trading, taking, sending Josh Richardson and first-round pick to the Spurs. But Derek White came in and filled a role that the, that the Boston Celtics didn't have at that point. <laughs> he came in as a guard that could play defense. He would bring sh good shooting from time to time. He yes. didn't have to do everything like he had to do it with the Spurs. He was required to do a lot more with the Spurs because they needed so many things. Because of the superstars on the Boston team, he could come in and play in more of a natural role, facilitating, playing great defense, scoring when he needed to, and being a, a good role player with the team that was full of superstars. So I also was very excited about the Golden State Warriors because mm -hmm. two years ago they went through such – turmoil with so many injuries, losing Kevin Durant, having to deal with Clay uh, Thompson, who I jokingly say is my nephew, <laughs> since his last name is Thompson. But at any rate, you know, seeing all those different things they went through, Steph getting hurt multiple times, Draymond Green getting hurt, all the different things that they went through, they prepared for this moment. And yes, I remember yes. there was an interview with Steph Curry back at the end of last season. He said, nobody wants to see us next year. When we get healthy, and come back. There's nobody who's going to be who's going to want to play us next year. And he was so and right. He was so right. Yes, yes. And, and you know they have such good team chemistry mm. there. Yes. Uh, it, it's not a one man team. It's a team's mm. team. Uh, did you see when the, they named the MVP of the of the series? And his teammates cheered louder than they were more excited than he was that he won. Yes, uh, Jordan Poole and Gary Payton the second mm. and. And, uh, Draymond and Draymond, they all rallied around. They were so happy for him mm -hmm. uh, because it really pushed Steph to a, 
a new level. We always knew he was the best shooter mm -hmm. in the history of the game. But now, having won now a fourth championship, that puts him in rare category mm -hmm. of uh, players who have won multiple championships. And not only has he been uh, league MVP and, uh, what is it, the All-Star Game MVP, now he has been a, a finals MVP, which was kind of like the only thing he was missing in his resume. Missing from his trophy case. Was from his trophy case. Kendrick, Kendrick Perkins was on TV this morning. He said that Steph Curry's accomplishments are, are longer than Chick-fil-A's menu now. Oh. <laughs> love it, love it, love it. And, and you know Chick-fil-A has a long line <laughs> every day. But uh, I, it's, it was great seeing Steph to, to be able to lead his team and even on the nights when he wasn't at his 100% best, like the last game, you know, the fifth game in the series, he did not have a great shooting night, but he did other things to elevate his team, to bring up the scoring of his teammates, to facilitate with them, even though he wasn't making shots. And so when he came back on the sixth game, we saw him shooting more like what we were used to. Yes, but yes. you saw that team rally together. They were connected. It, it is what, you, what we see in championship teams. When you see the Bulls, when they were on their sixth championship run, when you see the Spurs when they were on their runs, the Lakers, Boston Celtics on all those, when you see all those teams rally around one another and work together as a unit, that is when they accomplish greatness and reach the championship. And you know, it really helps when you keep a team together. Yes. When they're not yes, bickering yes. about mm -hmm. salary or, or who's getting more playing time. Yeah, they were very unselfish in the way that they uh, played and supported each other. And big kudos to the ownership. Uh, there was a report on, on television this morning. They were talking about what the ownership did. They sold part of their assets, part of the buildings that they own, in order to have enough money to pay their players. They put aside $500 million by selling off different assets that they had in order to be able to pay their players. They extended players on their teams. They extended all their big three, Steph, Curry, and Drake. And, and, uh, Draymond and, and Thomas, Clay and Thompson, Thompson. rather. Clay Thompson. They, they extended all three of those. Now they're prepared to be able to extend Andrew Wiggins, Jordan Poole, some of these other players that are coming along. And they developed these young men as they were having all these injuries. They got all those young guys ready. Plus, there are two guys on their team, um, Wiseman, who they drafted last year, and uh, Kaminga, both yes. great players who were injured this year and weren't able to play. They're going to come along next year and be able to play again. That's right. They're so they're just getting ready for another championship run in the next two or three years. And they have such a strong team mm -hmm. with, you, you mentioned Jordan Poole, which brought in the Poole party, mm -hmm. and, uh, Gary Payton II, Otto Porter, those guys. Uh, they're, and they love it. They love mm -hmm. it there. That That's the chemistry. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, James, to quote your wife from Psalm 133, you know, your wife always brings in the Bible. Mm -hmm. And uh, me being a pastor, I'm going to do it too. Uh, how good and pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together mm -hmm. in unity yep. on a basketball team or in life. It's a wonderful thing. Oh, yeah. But Boston is right there. Yes. I think Boston is going to be a threat in the Eastern Conference for years to come. They have a great coaching staff. Yes. They have great players. They play much like the, the Warriors do as team ball. They're very much committed to one another. They are a great team that is on the rise, and I fully expect to see them back in the championship in the very near future. I think they were very close to giving the Warriors a run for their money. They had a few moments there where maybe they got a little tired, maybe they overextended themselves. Something happened, 
And then when you you're playing against a team like the Warriors, that's so championship ready. Mm-hmm. It's hard to keep up with them and, and and be able to overcome that shooting and overcome that that team mentality. But I think the Boston Celtics are on their way up. I think they're going to be a great team, and I think they're going to just continue to grow um, with their coach Ime um, and and all the players that they've assembled, and they're just going to keep getting better. Yes, yes, that'll be good. That it's not going to be easy though because. No. The East is is you know used to be the East wasn't wasn't very strong, mm-hmm. but that isn't the case. No, uh, you got Giannis and his team, mm-hmm. and you got the Bucks, the Bucks, and so and, and uh, they did defeat some some excellent they teams. Did. Yes, you know the, Miami. The, the Miami is another great team. I tell you what, Brooklyn Nets are going to probably be a lot better this year coming in because they're going to have Kyrie Kyrie Irving full time. We're going to see Ben Simmons playing more. You're going to see Kevin Durant. They're going to have help for those young men. I think they're going to do very, very well. you got to deal with Chicago. I think Chicago's going to do well. Oh, yes, yes. you got yes. a lot of play, players, um, a lot of teams in the East that are going to do really, really well. Even the Cleveland Cavaliers, yeah. they got an up-and-coming team. Yeah. What about our poor Spurs? Well, <laughs> the draft is next Thursday, and the Spurs have three first-round picks. All right. And they have a couple of second-round picks, I think, as well. So this is a, a this is the time for us to take advantage of this. I'm hoping that they will, you know, package a trade up and get higher up in the draft or use these three draft picks in the first round to yeah. bring in some guys. We have good role players. I think of all of our players right now, the one guy that could probably move to superstar status would be DeJounte Murray. Um, another one potentially is Josh Primo. It was interesting when they they drafted Primo. My son and I looked at each other like, oh, "Why would we get another guard? Why?" Yeah, <laughs> he's good. Though. That young man's good. That he young man's really good. And surprisingly, he's still growing. He's gotten taller what? than when we first drafted. Right. <laughs> I did not know that. Okay, I didn't realize that one game we were watching, and my son said, "You know, he's gotten taller, right?" And I started looking at him, and he was standing next to Dejounte Murray, and he was almost as tall as uh, not taller than Dejounte. And I mean. This young man has grown from being closer to six feet to almost six five now, and he's still only nineteen twenty years old. Yeah, just yeah, and, and he just turning twenty. Played with great confidence, so I think as he continues to develop, he could turn into a superstar. I know Dejounte is on his way if he's not already considered a superstar. And then whoever we draft, we need to get somebody who could come in and become that Tim Duncan like, not Tim Duncan, but Tim, Tim Duncan like okay. person. For our team, and, and, and you know the Spurs always build from within, mm-hmm. and it's a different culture. Mm-hmm. And the guys that they develop want to stick around. Mm-hmm. Nobody wants to come to San Antonio, but once they come here, they don't want to leave. Mm-hmm. So, right. what is the culture of in San Antonio that wants to keep them here? I think they do a great job of, like you said, developing players. I think they also do a great job. Pop does a great job of expanding their minds. They they talk about and, ex- and expose them to much more than just basketball. Yes. Pop is a very cultured person. I mean, he's experienced a lot of things around the world, and he spends time developing young people. I think this year he was more excited with the players he had this year, watching them go out and play and develop than he was in some of the championship years because he said they were willing and receptive to what he was teaching them, and he enjoyed watching them learn and grow. And I think that's the type of culture that we have here. But that same culture we see has been extended to other parts of the NBA. 
we see the same thing with Monty Williams in, in Phoenix. We see the same thing with Emi Adoka in Boston. A lot of the struggles Boston had initially was him getting the team to buy in and get to the point where he wanted them to be defensively and offensively playing together. And when they finally reached that point, guess what happened? They went to the championship. They went to the championship. And almost were there where they could have won. And who do we have in Minnesota? <laughs> Minnesota. Who do we have? Oh, you mean Milwaukee. Mil- talking- uh, yeah, Milwaukee. Sorry. Who yeah, do we- Buttigieg. Uh, Coach, Coach Buttigieg. Um, Coach Bud. Coach Bud, thank you. I couldn't yeah. remember his name. And he, he, he went and won a championship last year. He won a championship. Didn't he win a championship in Atlanta? Or he, he came. He, he, he they came did well close. In, they, they did and well in Atlanta, but they didn't win a championship. They didn't win a championship. But then he went he went to Milwaukee. To Milwaukee and mm-hmm. won a, a championship in mm-hmm. Milwaukee. And of course Steve Kerr. Steve yeah. Kerr, he was he, a player for he won the two, Spurs. He won two championships here. And one and and is now well. And now he's got say. three Four. Four as a coach. Mm-hmm. Four as a coach. He has a total of nine championships as oh, a player almost, coach. He's almost out of fingers for rings. I told, yeah. I told my son he's going to have to start wearing them on his toes pretty soon. <laughs> he's got so many. He so, keeps winning like this. You, you really look at uh, a, a atmosphere of training players to be their very best, mm-hmm. coaches to be their very mm-hmm. best. And I want to mention a coach that just left the Spurs uh, coaching staff, Becky Hammond, who is mm-hmm. now – at the Las Vegas Aces, mm-hmm. who is in the top of the WNBA. Now, weren't, uh, weren't those uh, the Silver Stars at yes, one time? They, they were. were. They were. I so see. she played for uh, the Silver Stars or the Stars for almost a decade and then uh, became the coach at the Spurs, the first female assistant coach in the NBA. And, and now uh, I believe she's the highest paid yes. coach. Uh, in the WNBA, yes, yes. and has her team in first place. And right don't forget now. when she was here with the Spurs, how she uh, won the summer league championship. Mm-hmm. Yes, she did, and yeah. and again was the first female coach to actually coach a an entire w, uh, NBA game when Pop was out, and she, he she coached the team throughout the entire mm-hmm. game. So it's it's just an atmosphere of of getting people. At their best, that uh, San Antonio has done. So that that's that's a wonderful thing. What else is happening in sports, guys? Anything? Well, you, you know, Brindy Griner is. Oh yeah. She's been in, uh, in Russia now four or five months now. Yes, yes, yes. And uh, they're holding her hostage. What do you think can be done to get her back home? As a, to the states. I, I think more people, diversified people, in other words. People of color, people of wealth, people, common people need to speak out and say, come on, come on, you know, uh, it's time to get Brittany free and to let her go. If, yeah, let's, let's leave it at that. Mm-hmm. I'm just wondering if she had been a different person of a different race, would she still be there? Unfortunately, with the Russians, it's hard to say. They, they, they are using her as a pawn. They're using her as this political bargaining chip to try to get the United States to do something, whatever it is. And they, and they haven't named what that is at this point. I think they are using it, her as a propaganda piece. And it puts us in a very difficult circumstance. And I agree with you. We need to continue putting pressure on our government to do more. More and more people are starting to do that. We've seen campaigns to, to say we need to get Britney Freed. I know that the federal government is attempting to do things. What those things are, I don't know. I, I have no idea 
what they've done or how they're meeting with them. But when you're dealing with someone like Vladimir Putin, who is doing things that make very little sense to the to the rest of the world, but is uh, you know fulfilling his agenda, we see him using this woman as a propaganda piece to try to get something out of the United States. And like I said, I don't know what that is. I don't know what his goal, his end game is, but he's using a young lady. Now, the interesting thing is she has been playing basketball in Russia all these many years right. during the summer, and there was never an issue. Never an issue. But now, because the United States has condemned what he's doing, he's decided, I'm going to use her as a player. That's right. And so we're going to have to fight against that in some way. I don't know what the solution is, but we got to continue to fight against that to try to get that young lady back home. How many other players did they let come home and they kept her? Well, think about it. Brittany is a six foot, what, eight, nine woman. <laughs> she is someone that people notice. And when you take oh, someone yes. like that, other people are going to pay attention to it, unfortunately. For her, that's an unfortunate circumstance. And for us as, as citizens of the United States, it's an unfortunate circumstance. We need to find a way to... I don't know what the solution is, but we need to find a way to get her back home, to keep fighting against the, the Soviet Union, to get her released from them. And I just don't know what that answer is at this point. And neither do I, Jane, but uh, you mentioned something earlier about that she had been there mm -hmm. years before, which raises the question, why? And that's because of the inequity of payment for female mm -hmm. athletes mm -hmm. uh, in, in the same sport yes. as opposed to male athletes. And so one of the fixes that we could do is to, uh, if we're going to have these uh, uh, sports, uh, support them, pay, pay the women the same thing mm -hmm. you pay the men. Maybe not exactly dollar for dollar, but uh, make it so that the WNBA players don't have to have a second or third career right. just, just to be able to feed their, right. their family. And um, that's why Brittany was over there. Well, they, they, they play here for the WNBA season, but then they go overseas. They have more notoriety. Mm -hmm. Yes. They have more equity. They get paid so, quite a bit more. More money. More money over there than they do here right. in the States. Right. Which and, is crazy. And I don't think their season is as long. No, the season overseas is longer than it is here in the United States. Now, this is one of the, the first years that the WNBA has gotten much more attention than it normally does. ESPN has picked up their games. They are more frequently showing them on ABC. Good, and good, good. So it's a more regular occurrence that you're seeing WNBA games on television. But it, it, you, to both of your points, we as the United States, we as the sporting communities have to start supporting these women's sports because these young ladies are playing just as hard. They're training just as hard. In fact, they're probably playing even more so than the men are because they don't get a break. Whereas the men That's get right. that, that break where they can spend their time recuperating and recovering their bodies. Whereas the women, they play all these seasons overseas then they come right back and play here and they go right back. That's right. It's just too much. And then they don't get the same accommodations. They don't get the same uh, accolades. And, and, and let's face it, they don't get the same money. Mm -hmm. No. They don't get the same recognition. No. They don't get the same coverage. So how can I develop a fan base right. for a team or for a player if I never get to see them play? Mm -hmm. That's right. That's right. Now, when the Silver Stars were here, when they were new, and you had the Houston Comets who won multiple championships, it was very exciting. But then it kind of fizzled out, and the teams kind of went away because the franchise 
didn't want to invest in the WNBA. That's right. And they weren't on TV that much. But, you know, you mentioned them being on TV. Remember at the beginning of the pandemic, the women of the WNBA, I was so proud of them, mm-hmm. how they stood up and right next to the men mm-hmm. and uh, highlighted the issues Black, uh, 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 Black Lives Matter and social justice and, and uh, being cautious for the pandemic. They did not take a back mm-hmm. seat. They mm-hmm. were mm-hmm. leaders. And uh, I can still see it in my mind, mm-hmm. uh, them standing in solidarity as one and fighting all of the hardship that, that existed there. So, uh, Causing they, one of the, yeah. the WNBA owners to have to sell the team because of her. Oh, she should have. <laughs> You're right. And, and yeah. Yeah. unrighteous behavior. They, they said, we won't play for you. We want you to sell the team. And that person did end up selling the team. All right. I can see our time is just about going. Before we go, before we go, I do want to mention Serena Williams. Yes. Uh, because... Uh, maybe even Tiger Woods like, very quick. But Serena has announced that at age 40, she is going to play in Wimbledon this year. And so, she got a special pass. Mm-hmm. Uh, this year, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she got a special pla- pass to play because she's been inactive for a couple of seasons. Couple of seasons That's yeah. right. Because and of injury. If you remember, she got hurt at Wimbledon two years ago mm-hmm. and she did. She had to withdraw. That's right. So I think she's going to be a force to, yep. to be reckoned with this time around. She's, Everybody ought to count themselves fortunate to see her play. Anytime she plays, mm-hmm. she is the best that the sport has ever seen. Uh, she may be the sports person of the century uh, thus far. So uh, all kudos to her. And don't forget the up-and-coming Coco Golf. I was just going to say that. With Watch that, out for Coco. With that, we'll be right back with another section. Let's go get another cup of tea, folks. And here we are again. And why was that tea good? We're back. <laughs> that cup of tea was so wonderful. Yeah, and we ain't going to say what else we put in the tea. <laughs> but the tea was good. And it brings us to our next topic. All right, which is fatherhood. fatherhood. All right. As we uh, are on the eve of uh, fatherhood and Juneteenth, mm-hmm. let's not forget that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and thank God it's now a holiday where we can highlight and, and, and remember that the state of Texas, two years before, after, <laughs> two years after, yes, right. after the Emancipation Proclamation, June 19th, uh, 1865, was when. Texas officially got the word mm-hmm. and the slaves who for two years were still enslaved finally found out, oh, by the way, you're free. The slaves got the word. Yeah. I have a funny feeling that their owners <laughs> already, already knew. knew. They, already they knew. probably already knew. They just have failed to share the information with them. And do you not know that Father's Day is on June 19th? Yes. All right. All right. Well, you know, each of us are fathers. Yes. And so I'd like to ask my good buddies here, what does fatherhood mean to you? What is that about? What does it mean to you, being a father? or What is fatherhood? Any way you want to address it. Well, I'll tell you what, I'll go first. (laughs) Now, being a father, when I first found out my wife was pregnant, I had a glow that was all over the place. (laughs) And I had big plans for 
that child. <laughs> you know, we didn't do like the people today. We didn't have a gender reveal party. No, no. <laughs> we had a surprise party when they showed up. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's right. So I never will forget. It was April the 4th, 1977, my son was born. And I rushed into the hospital and I asked the nurses, uh, I'm here to see the Watson baby. And they say, there he is. And I said, where? <laughs> because he didn't look like me. <laughs> and I had to literally take a look at the name tag. And yes, it was my son. Wow, wow. You know, it, it's interesting you should say that. Uh, when my first child was born, I immediately, after I had, after I had seen him and everything and walking down the hallway, fortunately we were able to be in there, I stuck my chest out and went, I've got a son, you know, <laughs> and everything. But who, when he was born, because my dear wife is a little bit on the uh, light-skinned side, uh, I didn't know what the baby would look like. And uh, so when he was born, Patrick was dark-skinned and everything, and I said, and when he was born, Thank God I have an African. <laughs> I was so happy because black is beautiful. Amen. All right, James, back to you. So I think back to when we first found out. So when my wife and I first got married, about the second year we were married, she uh, found out she was pregnant and we were very excited. We were living in Ohio and unfortunately we had a miscarriage. And I'll, I'll never forget that she had, you know, Dealing with military doctors can be challenging from time to time. You get a different doctor every time you went. She knew there was something wrong, and she knew there was something wrong, and she went and uh, to the doctor about that last appointment, and I didn't get to go with her. I had to mm -hmm. do something for work, and that's, she found out by herself that she oh. had lost the baby. We had lost the baby. Oh. And so it just bothered me that I wasn't there for her at that very difficult time. And so we, we got through that, and we had strong families at our church who had gone through miscarriages. Because, you know, when you go through something like that, you, you freak out. You think, oh, my gosh, I, I'll never have kids and something's wrong with us and all those different crazy thoughts. Yeah. Well, these other families told us that they had gone through that same thing. And these were people with three, four, and five kids. You know? Okay. So okay. they encouraged us in that difficult time. So when we got to San Antonio and we found out she was pregnant, I went to every appointment and I was there constantly with her through all that process. And when... We went to the hospital when our son was born. I was there in the room with her, and the doctors had given her something to put her to sleep. <laughs> and so she was having contractions. I'm watching it on the chart. The contractions are going up to the peak and coming back down. Yes. You know, so she's laying there sleeping the whole time. She finally, Joseph is finally born, and I'm sitting there holding him, looking at him. And I, unlike you guys, I could tell that he was my son from the moment I took laid eyes on him. <laughs> Because I'm looking at him and I see all of my facial features on him. And uh, as I kept looking, I said, this reminds me of something. I, I'm thinking to myself and Cheryl was laying there resting and she woke up. And she said, what are you doing? I said, I'm just keep thinking about something. He looks like something I've seen before. And I finally realized what it was. He looked exactly like my baby picture at that age. Wow. So when I was a newborn, <laughs> my parents had this picture of me, a little black and white picture of me as a newborn. But they took pictures of, of Joseph. And when I set those pictures side by side, you it looked like we were twins. Just the oh, different. The only way you could tell the difference is because the picture was a little bit yeah. older of me and younger of him. Mm. And so uh, later on, about a year and a 
half later, Jasmine was born, our daughter, and she looked just like me in the baby picture. So when you put those two together, the three of them, we had them all stacked together, and you could tell that they were my children. Now, all right, that's a beautiful sister's thing. Since this time, Jasmine looks more like her mom. Oh, mama. <laughs> yeah, it comes out. Uh, so so what is what does fatherhood mean to you? This is the experience of becoming a father. Now that you are a father, what what, what does that mean? How does that differentiate from any other role you have? It's a big responsibility. Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. You're not only responsible for yourself, you're responsible for someone else in their upbringing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, That's huge. It is. It's a leadership role unlike any other. Your family is looking to you to make decisions, to set an example to plan for the future, to be stable, to be that reliable person in their lives. And me as a young man growing up, I did not have my father. He wasn't in my life. Um, Growing up, it wasn't until later on in life that we kind of reconciled with one another. But I saw the things that he did not do in my life. said, these are the things I'm going to make sure I do for my children, that I'm going to be there for them. And when they come home, they know that I'm going to be available to them. They, they know that their father's going to support them. And I will confess, I wasn't perfect at that. There were a lot of times that I <laughs> didn't know what the heck I was doing. All right. But I just kept trying to do the best I can. And I, I they tell me they appreciate it now. There were a few days I, I wondered if they do it. <laughs> <laughs> a few? A, a few lot days, of them. A few days I wondered. Saying, okay. Yeah, you, you know, being a father, being a dad, you have answers for everything. <laughs> Right or wrong. Even if there's a wrong answer, you <laughs> gotta have the answer. Yeah. Because they're gonna ask you, mm-hmm. how do I do this? Mm-hmm. Where do I go for this? Mm-hmm. Why did this happen? And you know, sometimes I just make up stuff. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. All right, all right, all right. So father fatherhood is leadership, and it sounds like from you guys a, a responsibility not only to lead but to provide or yeah. to yes. take care mm-hmm. of. Uh, James, you mentioned that you wanted to be sure as a father you you provided for your children the things that you thought they mm-hmm. needed. Mm-hmm. So so what should a father provide for his children? What, I think the biggest thing is love, love? unconditional okay. love, uh, letting them know that no matter what, whether they're right or wrong, whether they're sideways, whatever circumstances mm-hmm. in life, they always know that their father loves them, that he he is concerned about their well-being. Mm-hmm. That even mm-hmm. if he disagrees with what you're doing, he still loves you. All right, and is compassionate towards you. Uh, so sounds like unconditional mm-hmm. love. Mm-hmm. All right. Anyth- anything else? Dependability. Yes. Mm. Always there for. Mm-hmm. Even when it hurts. Yes. <laughs> even when you have to take money out of one pocket and <laughs> it put was. it in the other. <laughs> oh, that's all. Oh, Lord, please let there be some money in one of these accounts. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Uh, my children used to tell me when I said I didn't have any money, well, just go to the bank. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they got plenty of money. In got, you, you always go, just go to the mm-hmm. bank. You well, got to have money in, in the bank. bank. Yeah, they get out of there. It's really bad when you got to pass by the bank that you bank at to go to your house. Yeah. They would always tell me, Daddy, the bank's right there. Just go over there. Hey, go get some money. Yeah, they never understood it. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't understand that. <laughs> so, yeah, it 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 is uh, it is leadership, and and James, I am so happy you said the number one thing is mm-hmm. is love because most people think that the number one thing a, a father ought to do is be a provider, mm-hmm. but 
the first thing they ought to provide is love. Mm -hmm. It's a firm foundation upon which a person can build a life mm -hmm. and build responsibility because our job as parents is to hopefully create responsible adults mm -hmm. and, and help them to, to live right. I so, tell people, yeah, go ahead. No, go ahead. I, I tell people all the time, the job of a parent is to work themselves out of the job. Ooh, it's I like make, that. It's to make your child self-sufficient so they can get out on their own. Wow. And, you know, it's a, it's a tough job. It's a job that requires a lot of dedication, commitment, and, and a, a job that requires you to be able to encourage even when that person doesn't really want to be encouraged or, or want to go forward. So, Thank you, Professor mm -hmm. Thompson. I'm telling you, I, I like it. You know, one of the, the hardest things I find as a, as a father is to say no. Mm. Okay, big one, big one. You know, and, and sometimes we have to say no. Yeah. In order for them to grow, we have to mm -hmm. say no. Mm. That is hard. All right. And it's very difficult. But when you say no and they get it, then they grow. All right. Uh, I'm going to call you, you Professor Watson, on, <laughs> on that. Um, so it seems like uh, you're, you're in this business about saying no, or you could spend a whole bunch of time on that. But what about the myth that they have about minority uh, fathers that we are not there, that we just don't show up. I think each of us are examples that black men do stay mm -hmm. and do raise mm -hmm. their children. And we do care. And, and you know, you look at Steph Curry mm -hmm. and his dad, mm -hmm. what a beautiful sight right. to see the father and son hugging mm -hmm. after he won that thing. You look at, uh, what's the other guy for the- uh, Draymond Green and his children. Draymond Green and his children. And the on the losing team, the uh, point guard, what's his name? Uh, yeah, for, for every game, he was holding his son. Mm -hmm. uh, and Jason after Tatum. every game. Jason Tatum, Tatum yes. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. uh, that says to me that we, I, we are there. I think, unfortunately, that is, th yes, it is true that there are many people who have, you know, men that have not been there for their children. True. By choice or by circumstance. Of all or races. Of, and, but it's of all races, exactly right. But I think there's this perpetuation of this myth that goes on to continue to fight against us as African-Americans or as minorities. There are a lot of people who try to make it sound like we are not there. But the reality is there's more of us there doing the job of fatherhood, whether we know what we're doing or not. We're making that active effort to be there for our children. Mm -hmm. And so I think that we just need to spend more time advertising, not advertising, but you know, making it known that there are men who care about their children. I remember when we first joined the church, uh, Mount Zion, uh, there were a few of us who became fathers at, at, at the church, and that was the first time we had a lot of kids at the church in a long time. But those fathers, I saw them, my peers, who were there changing diapers, who were there talking to their kids, who were there playing with awesome. them, who were there doing things with their children because they wanted to be there with their kids. And some of them, you know, unfortunately, their marriages didn't last, but they, those fathers stayed involved in their children's lives. Those marriages that did last, those fathers stayed involved in their children's lives, and they made that concerted effort. Yes, yes. I, you know, as you mentioned that, I think about one of the fathers, and I won't call his name, but you know, you know who I'm talking about, uh, who ended up raising his two boys, and and basically. Uh, did the job of mother mm -hmm. and father mm -hmm. to be there to have those boys in church yep. and and to stay with them and both of them are now adults and responsible adults uh but uh he was there and if they cut up at school boy oh boy mm -hmm. 
the last thing they wanted was daddy to come down there. And, and, and you know, a lot of times we're fathers to other people's yes. children. Okay. Yes. Um, I know in my lifetime, there have been a couple of young men that I ended up being their godfather. Mm -hmm. Their parents didn't choose me. They, they chose yeah. me. All right. That's a and, great feeling, though. And, and it and it's it's really good to know that mm -hmm. somebody loves you enough mm -hmm. to choose you as a godfather. Good, good, good. So it sounds like fatherhood doesn't really stop. It never stops. No, it doesn't. <laughs> and, uh, and, and if you think about it, you as a father to your own children, with your mentors to other children. Okay. Uh, I, I go to a couple of schools during the school year to mentor to young men, to teach them how to tie a tie, okay. to teach them table etiquette, okay. to teach them public speaking, mm -hmm. to teach them self-confidence and how to do things. And mm. you'd be surprised at what they don't know. Mm -hmm. But when they get it and you see the light bulb go off, it's a world of difference. It sure is. Wow. Now, you two gentlemen have a privilege that I'm yet to have. <laughs> you're grandparents. I call it a privilege. I don't know what you want to call it. But it is. <laughs> you're grandparents. It is. So what's that like? Another level of, of fatherhood. So I made a rule when my granddaughter was born because I've done so much work for children at younger ages that I'm not changing in diapers. <laughs> <laughs> That's my one hard and fast rule. I'll do everything else. I play with them. I feed them. I put them to sleep. I hang out with them. But when it comes time to change diapers, I hand them back to mom and dad. Okay. <laughs> that was my All one right. hard and fast rule. But well, being a grandfather, I love it because you see this little person that is just coming into the world. You as a grandparent, you understand all the mistakes you made as a parent. <laughs> <laughs> all the things you didn't know as a parent. That's why when my mother would give me advice, she knew so much. I said, how did she learn all these things? Well, she made all the mistakes with me, and now she knows what to do. Okay. Now I'm the same way with my grandchildren. I made all those mistakes with my children. Now I know what to do with the grandchildren. Amen. It's the first time being being that. So mm -hmm. you, as, as parents, you're learning as you go. Now as grandparents, mm -hmm. you got some experience. experience. Nope. Well, done you, you spoke earlier about you saw that picture before. <laughs> I took a picture with my son at a very young age. And my grandson, when he saw it, he asked me, he said, Pop, is that me? <laughs> I said, no, that's your dad. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so he looked just like his dad. Yeah. But I have four grandsons. Wow. And I've had to go to the school a few times. <laughs> okay. I've gotten reports from teachers. Mm -hmm. And I've had to... Uh, have the counseling sessions with them so that they wouldn't act up again. So being a grandfather, it's awesome. It's wonderful. Mm -hmm. Because you, you, you get away with things because of age. That <laughs> 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 you wouldn't normally get away okay, with. There you go. But because of your age, you get away with a lot of things. <laughs> and besides, you know, they 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 have a tendency to look mm -hmm. up to you. Mm -hmm. Sounds good. Sounds good. Mine aren't young enough to, to express that yet, but I'm hoping that we get to that point. I think we will. Uh, two more questions, and we'll be done, and our time is almost up. But what's what's the 
most challenging part about being a father. Ooh. So Bill mentioned about plans. And this was the one that, that really I struggled with for a long time until my children became young adults. I had all these great plans. I had decided mm-hmm. how they were going to live their lives, what they were going to do, and how it was going to all work out. It was all <laughs> planned out, out in my mind. And they didn't do any of the things I said. <laughs> None of them. Okay. I, and on the times when I shared the plan, they looked at me like I was crazy. And then other times I didn't share the plan. And what I had to come to, I, I finally came to terms. God basically put in my heart, this is not about your plans. This is about my, my plans. plans. All right. And that was a hard lesson for me to learn and finally get to the point where I could admit. And my children are doing well. They're growing. They're responsible people. I overheard my son. He was talking to one of his friends. They were having a debate about the gun issues in Uvalde. And, and one, you know, his friend was on the side of arming everybody. Mm-hmm. And my son gave him all these reasons why that was not a good idea. And he spoke very eloquently and was able to explain himself very well. I'm sitting there listening to him. I'm saying, that's my son. That's the kid I thought was never going to be responsible. How about that? You know, or or was going to struggle being responsible. And there he is being a responsible guiding light to his friends. Yes. And God showed me in that moment, the things that you put into him, that he put into me so I can put into my son, are coming out. Are coming out. And we're seeing those things. Train up a child when they're young. When they're old, they will But the biggest thing I had to do was realize that it wasn't my plan. Okay, but <laughs> I had to give up my plans and submit myself to God's plans. And when I started doing that, the relationship got better. The frustration went away. We were able to interact and get along with one another because I wasn't trying to force my ideas upon advice. them. I stepped back. You know, it, it, it's a struggle because the plans you have for mm-hmm. them are not their plans. Mm-hmm. But one of the things I take great delight in is listening to my words that I spoke to my yes. children. <laughs> yes. Finally come back. Coming out. Come through them to their children. And yes. I sit back and laugh. <laughs> <laughs> who who would have thought? Uh, when one of them tells you, I was talking the other day and I sounded like you did. <laughs> oh, wow, wow, wow. <laughs> I sounded and, like and you. That's something. <laughs> um, I want to close uh, well, with two things. Number one, the best part for me of being a dad, I want to share with you. I'm now in my mid 60s, but I, I'm obviously still a parent. But the thing that that used to bring me the greatest joy is when I would come home, mm-hmm. and I have three children, and uh, I would open the door, and I would hear "Daddy, Daddy, mm-hmm. Daddy, Daddy," and they would break out running yep. and come to give me that hug. And my wife used to get jealous because at the time she was a stay-at-home mom, later went to work, but she said, they don't do like that to me. <laughs> but that was just such joy to have give you a reason to to want to come home and to be that role model. So that was my happiest moment. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You can't put a price. That was, I remember my, my brother-in-law told me that that was going to happen. He had children before me. And, yes. And uh, he said, the day is going to come where they are going to be excited to see you. And, and when yes. that happened, it was the best thing in the world. It was the <laughs> yes, best thing it in the is. world. It yes, really it was. And you know, as your grandchildren get older, they're going to do the same thing. They're going to do the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> okay, final question. When does fatherhood end? When or... you die. <laughs> fatherhood ends. <laughs>
and that's when it ends. Mm -hmm. Okay, all right then. Well, there you have it, folks. Uh, we are grateful for this privilege, and I guess we'll have to turn the Kitchen Island tea back over to the ladies. No. <laughs> but before we go, to each of you fathers out there, happy, happy Father's, Father's Day. Day. Yes. We're out now. Yeah.